Good morning, everyone. Today we're going to be taking a look at the topic of the church during the political election season. This is a topic that many of us are thinking about. We understand the uh, implications of what is about to happen in about a week from now. And um, I was thinking about just being a follower of Jesus Christ and how important this time is that God's people are both discerning and faithful to our Lord. Uh, Jesus wants his uh, followers to be discerning and to be faithful. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, you're able to interpret the sky, able to interpret the culture and what is happening around you. But more important is the ability to interpret, to discern the spiritual meaning of what is happening around you. Jesus wants us during this time to be very discerning about what is happening, especially spiritually. And secondly, Jesus wants us to be faithful to the times in which we live. He prayed in John chapter 17. He said, I pray that my followers would be in the world, but not of the world, that they would live separated lives, sanctified lives, uh, set apart for my heavenly father. And uh, Jesus wants us to not just be discerning, but to be faithful during this time. It would be easy not to talk about the political election season during this time. And I had thought about that, but then I realized um, that would just be an act of cowardice on my part. It would be easy for me to just come up here and say, um, just vote according to your heart. But I don't think that that's being a faithful shepherd. I, I think that what you want and what you need uh, from uh, a shepherd, from a pastor this morning, is what does it look like to be a discerning and to be a faithful church? What does it look like to be a discerning and faithful follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, what example is being put before me? Um, this election is a binary choice. It's one choice or the other. Uh, there's no in between. And so I think it's very important that uh, ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, kind of help their flock to decide not just on what are the biblical issues, but also to set an example for them. And so I'm going to uh, try and do that this morning. I want to do three things. First, I want to talk about three uh, narratives that have been going on through many of our minds and that have kind of shaped the way we look at this political season. And secondly, I want to give us four words, four sets of words uh, from the Bible that will help guide us during uh, the election season, no matter who wins and who loses. And finally, at the very end, um, I'm going to make clear uh, what I think the issue is that was, is most persuasive to me, what I think the issues are that are most persuasive, and the example um, that I'm trying to set, and it will be clear to you uh, which direction I'm headed at the end of this sermon. So let's look at three narratives that I think are going on in many of our minds and just kind of uh, give uh, voice and give clarity to that reality because I think they're very important to understand what's happening. Narrative number one that's going through a lot of our minds is that the, uh, there is this idea out there in the church that God's people need to be actively uh, trying to take over the political sphere, that God's church their mission, a major part of their goal here on this planet, is to take over the realm of politics. Um, now, when we say that, we're not talking about God's people voting according to their uh, godly principles, according to a godly conscience. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about God's people praying 
uh, for political leaders. We're not even talking about uh, God's people running for political office. We are talking about a, an overarching narrative in uh, some of our minds that says the church's goal is to take over the political process so that uh, America can be more moral. America can be more sanctified as we promote and pass uh, laws are, are more in line with kingdom values. And if you go back to the 1970s, um, you saw this huge groundswell movement of conservative Christians. Uh, it was a movement that was called the, um, the Moral Majority. And it was started by a group of ministers, mostly from the South. And the idea was that we will uh, bring the church together uh, to create a moral majority that will be a political force that will uh, encourage politicians or will get Christian politicians into office that will uh, preserve and promote Christian morality and traditional values in this country. That morphed from the 1970s into the 1980s and 90s uh, into something called the religious right that continued on uh, with the idea of um, Christianity and politics coming together. And that spawned a reaction movement in the 2000s called the um, the Christian left or progressive Christianity. Uh, today, there's um, aberrant theological movements like the NAR movement, National uh, uh, New Apostolic Reformation movement, that talks about how God's people. Are, one of our goals is to take different hills in culture: the hill of the arts, the hill of education, the hill of government, for example. To um, and, and if the church can just infiltrate, for example, the hill of the political arena, uh, that will usher in the kingdom of God here on earth, so the thinking goes, and um, help uh, hasten the return of Christ. And so there is a large movement of Christians that uh, subscribe to this narrative that God wants his people to take over the political process, and that is a primary mission of his church. And what I find really interesting is when you look in the New Testament, you look at the ministry of Jesus, you look at the ministry of the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, um, there is no example of them trying to take over the political process in Rome. There's no example of them lobbying to get other Christians to... Um, or Gentile Christians to be elected into Roman office or to change Roman laws. You do not see that in the New Testament. What you find is Jesus and the apostles focused on making disciples. You find them focused on not changing laws or changing uh, people who hold positions of political power, but having them focus on seeing the human heart changed and having it changed by God. And through that, uh, the human soul is changed in terms of the moral choices, the spiritual choices she lives out and makes. That is the focus that you see in the New Testament. And so there's one narrative that uh, we want to be careful that it doesn't go too far, that uh, God's people can be involved in politics, but it's not the primary uh, mission of the church. Narrative number two. There's another narrative that I, I think for a lot of Christians, uh, we just kind of boil it down, these two parties, Republicans and Democrats. And, um, you know, we maybe don't focus so much on taxes or foreign policy or military spending, although those things are obviously important considerations. I think the time in which we live in today, a lot of Christians look at the Republican Party and Democrat Party, and they just boil it down to the following. They say, um, Republicans 
uh, are primarily about the, uh, the sanctity of life, uh, pro-life, and they're primarily about the sanctity of marriage in terms of their morality. And um, the Democrats are primarily about helping the poor. Uh, they're primarily about uh, uh, preserving the environment, primarily about uh, racial reconciliation issues and uh, human rights issues. And I think when you look at these two parties, uh, you see the re- many people see the Republican Party as a uh, party of maybe traditional values, um, but the critique of them is, well, we say, well, if you're going that direction, you don't care about the poor, uh, you don't care about the environment, you don't care about races, um, you don't care about um, a lot of things that the other side cares about. If the Democrats, um, I think, are seen as this party that is uh, out to kill babies, uh, and uh, dismantling the society through the breakup of the family. I'm just calling it for what it is. I think many Christians see it this way, one way or the other. And we're going to talk some more about that later on. Uh, Narrative number three is that character, the character of our leaders, and the platform uh, that they stand for, um, that one or more of them matters, or maybe just one of them matters, more so than the other. Um, And the reality is in the Bible, both character and policy matter. Uh, Character matters. You see what happened in the Old Testament when uh, Israel had judges that were good versus judges that were corrupt, kings that were good and kings that were corrupt. You saw uh, the morality of the nation, the favor of the nation with God go up or down depending on the character and the spiritual character of the leaders largely. You see um, the Apostle Paul saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, he says he's quoting uh, Meander, one of the Greek dramatists of the day that said essentially bad company corrupts good morals. And so you see taught throughout scripture that character matters in terms of, of leadership, in terms of it influencing others, but also the platform, the policy matters from a biblical standpoint. Um, there was the politics of Caesar had massive implications for the persecution of the church. The economic decisions in Rome to, uh, to build a, a Roman road that went throughout the Roman Empire, all these roads... Uh, God used for the expansion of the gospel. Uh, that was an, through an economic decision that Rome made. Uh, the philosophy of the Greeks, the Epicureans, the, the Stoics that we looked at last week, that had implications for how the gospel was to be communicated and what came against uh, the Lord's truth. And so these three narratives, I think, are very prevalent um, among the church. And uh, I, I think it's important we, that we just give voice to them. And we understand that there might be some truth to them. There might not be some truth to them. But wherever you fall on those narratives, I, I want us to focus um, on these four uh, sets of words that will help us to focus on the kingdom of God, uh, no matter who wins the election. Uh, the first word we want to look at this morning is the word kingdom. The word kingdom. Jesus said in John chapter 18, verse 36, when he was speaking to Pilate, and Pilate asked him, are you a king? Um, Where is your kingdom? 
what crime have you committed? And Jesus said back to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And I think as the church, we need to start here. We need to recognize that no matter what happens in the political elections, um, no matter who takes power of this earthly kingdom in America, that the church is to have a larger perspective. We are to be reminded to say that no matter who takes control of this earthly kingdom we have in this country, a great country, um, we as followers of Jesus Christ, we are living for another kingdom. And we believe this larger kingdom called the kingdom of God has power over this earthly kingdom. And so whatever happens in the election, um, God's kingdom, it will not stop God's kingdom. God's kingdom will advance through the church and it has no power over God's kingdom. And so I think we need to commit starting off by saying that with a kingdom mindset to say that whoever wins the election We will have faith in God's sovereign plan that in some way he's going to work through whoever wins the election, Republican or Democrat, and all the uh, races in between. God is going to sovereignly work through that no matter who wins the election. And secondly, that the church, the kingdom of God as expressed through the church, is ultimately the salt to preserve evil and the light to spread the truth in society. That is not primarily done through the laws of man. Uh, They can help uh, curtail evil. They can help point to some kind of moral goodness that uh, is a shadowy shadowy reflection of the kingdom of God. But ultimately, um, goodness that triumphs over evil, that stops evil, and the truth that dispels the lie comes from the kingdom of God comes from the church. And so we need to be reminded of that. Whoever wins the election, God's going to work through that. And the church is of another kingdom. And so we are not to see this as uh, earthly kingdom is going to control the church. Our God is bigger than that. Amen. The second word is prayer. Uh, We need to be committed to prayer as a church. Uh, Paul encouraged Timothy as he pastored Ephesus Uh, the church at Ephesus, and he said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, he said, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul reminds Timothy that the church is to be praying for her leaders. Um, that the church is to pray, be praying for uh, kings and all governors, uh, people who govern, that are in positions of authority, that we are to be praying for their salvation. That is our first most important prayer. That anyone who rules over us, uh, whether we like them or not, whether we agree with their policies or not, we are to be praying for their salvation in Jesus Christ. And he says that we, as a benefit, Uh, We may live peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified lives as we pray for their salvation. As We pray that uh, they would govern in a way that is consistent with um, the the values and the morals and the principles of the kingdom of God, whether they're Christian or not. Um, They can make decisions that would honor God in in a reflective way that we are reminded as Christians to pray for them 
and that we can be blessed through that. And so we need to make the commitment, church. We need to commit to make the commitment to pray before the election, during the election, and after the election for our leaders' salvation and that they would make wise decisions. Um, the following Sunday, uh, Sunday, not this, not today, but next Sunday, that's two days before the election, um, I want to invite you, church, to join us for a prayer meeting on Sunday morning before the service at 7.30 a.m. in the parking lot of the GEMS building here in downtown L.A. that we're going to pray for an hour. Um, this is two days before the election. I realize many people have cast their vote, but um, we don't want there to be chaos uh, on election night or after election night. And um, there's certainly that possibility right now. And so we need to be a, be a praying church, not just for our leaders, but for our country. And so we want to invite you um, the Sunday before the election, next Sunday, to join us here in the parking lot at 7.30 a.m. We're going to pray for an hour. And I want to encourage you to fast um, as part of that day or fast the day of the election somewhere around there that week. And so we need to be a praying church. Um, a third uh, set of words, not just do we have a kingdom mindset, not only are we praying for our leaders, but we are submitting and we are honoring those who are put into office. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with uh, their character. It doesn't mean that we have to agree necessarily with all their positions, but that we are as a church, as God's people, to be known as a submissive people who honor those who um, God has allowed or put into political office. Listen to the words of Paul and Peter. Paul said in Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Paul reminding us that uh, the politicians that have been put into place, God has either allowed or, or put in there, and we are to be subject to them. We are not to riot against them. We are not to um, uh, gossip about them. We are not to slander them. Uh, because, again, Paul says, whoever resists the authorities that God has put appointed uh, will incur judgment. God will judge us, church. Because he is asking us as a church to trust uh, his sovereign plan. We have no idea. Um, we know that there are certain candidates that have more biblical positions than others. But we have no idea why God would allow certain leaders to come into office in terms of his wider plan. And uh, are you smarter than God? I'm not. And so uh, we need to trust by faith. Even if it's a candidate we may not like, um, we are not submitting to all of the morals of that candidate that we don't like. We don't have to agree with all of their moral choices or their policy choices, but we are submitting to God who has, again, in the words of Paul, um, there is no authority except from God and it's been instituted by God. Peter said something very similar in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. Uh, Peter writes this. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. The emperor here is is Nero. Uh, it's it's the Caesars of, of Rome. Um, and they were far worse uh, than uh, Biden or Trump, whatever you think of either candidate. Uh, 
whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Uh, we are not just to submit to the governing authorities, we are to honor them. And I know that's really hard, right? Especially if they act out in ways that we think uh, uh, we don't like their character or some things they might say or they have policies that we just think are are terrible um, and against the will of God. Um, Peter is reminding us that we are not to be a dishonorable people. We are to honor uh, them as human beings. And, uh, and as we do this, he says that we should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Um, even though we may not agree at times with what's being said or done, uh, we don't want to give foolish people, people who um, have rejected God, any ammunition, any material to look back at the church and say the church um, doesn't trust their God. The church is a uh, disruptive force in a bad way. It's not a peaceful place. It's not a place where they honor people, but they tear people down. And so we need to make the commitment, church, that whatever happens in the election, we are not going to be part of some kind of riot post-election. Uh, we are not going to go on social media and start bashing uh, people that won the election that we don't like. Uh, we're not going to be boastful if our side wins and put down the other side. Um, but instead, um, we're gonna, we're gonna submit to God's work. We're going to honor the people who are, are elected. It doesn't mean we have to agree. It doesn't mean that you can't mourn, um, uh, decisions that you see are evil. But we are to be submitted and we are to be honoring. A fourth and final word here this morning. Uh, we are to have a kingdom perspective. We are to pray. We are to have a posture of submitting and honoring. And finally, we are to maintain the unity of the church. Um, this fourth word is unity. Unity in the church. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, once again, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, he says, I, Paul, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, church, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peter says something very similar. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Paul and Peter remind us to have unity in the church, to have love, to have patience to have a tender heart, to have gentleness. Um, and, and we are to do this towards one another because this is walking in a manner that is worthy of our Lord, worthy of our faith, worthy of the church. Um, the last thing we want to see, church, is disunity over this political process. And I know many of us have strong opinions one way or the other, and we just cannot believe when someone doesn't see it our way. And um, it's very easy not to just get into a civil dialogue. We can have dialogue. We can have disagreement. Um, but there are too many examples of Christians who um, create disunity over this, even within the church. Um, I, 
used to know someone on social media, uh, a friend of mine for many years, and he would just post things political um, on his Facebook. And it wasn't just, here's my view. Uh, it was tearing down other Christians who disagreed with him and, you know, using profanity against them and saying, you're just brainwashed, you're terrible, and, um, and my side is the only right side. And it just, I just warned them over and over, you know, this is tearing down the body of Christ. This is creating disunity. And they ignored it and finally had to just unfriend them and uh, rebuke them. Uh, this is not conduct that is worthy of the gospel. This is not conduct in a manner worthy of our Lord. And so um, we want to be committed to keeping the unity of the faith, the unity of believers. And so let's make that commitment, church, that to whatever, ex- uh, to whatever extent it is possible for us to maintain the unity and to not speak words that would create disunity in the body of Christ. You can have your opinion, you can disagree, but there comes a point where it actually starts to create disunity. I want to close this time um, by, by sharing uh, where I'm at. And I, I could re- literally stop the sermon right now and just close in prayer and, and just kind of play it safe. But um, I think it's my responsibility as, uh, as the pastor of City Bible Church to set an example, to, to say, this is how I'm trying to follow Christ. This is what I'm trying to follow what's um, in the Bible. And, um, and I'm trying to set that example for you. And so I'm just going to share with you a little bit of my thinking as I synthesize all of these things. Um, I'm going to be praying for our leaders. I want to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. I want to submit and honor um, those who are in um, political office. And remember that uh, this is not my home. You know, I'm a citizen of another kingdom. And so that kingdom rules over the kingdom of, uh, here on earth. That said, um, at going back to what we were talking about before, this is a binary choice. Um, I think it's irresponsible and actually a stumbling, stumbling block to others if you don't vote. Um, I think, you know, just living in this country, so many have fought and fallen um, for the freedoms that we now enjoy and take for granted. And so um, it's our duty as just citizens, good citizens, to vote. Uh, but we have to vote one way or the other. And so as I take all of this into account, um, I can see good things on both sides of the party. Um, but one of the things that I weigh heavily is the issue, and maybe part of this is because I'm a husband, maybe part of this is because I'm a father. Um, but I think I like to think most of it is because uh, these are core issues in the Bible, uh, the issue of life and the issue of marriage. Um, I, I put those at the very top uh, in terms of importance and how I determine my vote. Um, I think the issue of whether someone lives or dies in the beginning um, is, is critical. And it, it, scripture says in the book of Psalms, um, in the book of Jeremiah, that um, God was involved in creating life in the womb. And so that life needs to be protected. And so whether someone lives or dies, period, is an ultimate issue. Um, period of life and death, uh, is uh, that issue is from the very beginning to the very end of the Bible. So that weighs very heavily with me. And secondly, the issue of marriage. Um, marriage has been defined traditionally since the Garden of Eden, and it has uh, been the bedrock of society from that point forward. And marriage is actually talked about in the Bible 
as a reflection of the unity and diversity of the Trinity. Um, the Holy, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit created ma- them male and female. He created them, they created them in their image. God created them. And so what that means is that when male and female come together and in marriage, it is a reflection of the unity and the diversity in the Trinity. And also in the New Testament, uh, Paul says that uh, men and women coming together in marriage is a reflection of the relationship between who? Jesus and the church. And so you're talking about fundamental theological issues here, the Trinity, Jesus' relationship to, to the body of Christ. And so um, I, I, I weigh that very heavily about the definition of what marriage is, not just in society throughout human history, but also through the Bible. Now, there are other issues that are very important. The poor. Uh, there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that call upon us to serve the poor. Uh, we are to be stewards of the environment, have dominion over the earth, even though uh, the earth was primarily created for man. Uh, we're not man to serve the environment. Um, and we want to see racial reconciliation. The gospel brings together different races. And uh, we want to care for uh, you know, human choice matters that's emphasized throughout the entire Bible. And so... Um, the way I look at this is I want to uh, take a position that focuses on what I think are the single most important issues, the sanctity of life and the definition of marriage, the traditional definition of marriage. But I also want to pay attention to the other issues where I want to now serve in the church to care for the poor. I want to... Um, uh, pastor a church and even model it in my own life, reconciled races in the church. Um, I want to uh, be, I don't want to be a bad steward of creation. I want to be a good steward of creation, but I want that to be a connection to the gospel. And, and so if I have to make a choice between one or the other, um, I'm going to choose life and I'm going to choose um uh, the the definition of how God has brought uh, people together, both for procreation and marriage, as a reflection of His. I, I, it doesn't doesn't mean that the character of the candidate doesn't matter. Of course, that matters. It doesn't mean that we agree with all the policy decisions um, that are made by one party or the other. I don't. But uh, in a binary choice, one or the other, I think we have to make. A primary priority, and that is mine. And so, um, I want to pray for us during this time, and pray that um, for peace in our country. I want to pray for wisdom for you, and that um, God's name would be lifted up even during this turbulent, disruptive time. So let's pray together. Father, as we come together now as your people um, during this disruptive time. Um, in our history, as we look forward into uh, more potential chaos coming our way, we recognize that we we have the the opportunity and the benefit of being in a country where we get to have the freedoms to make choices like this. And so we want to thank you, Lord, um, that you are sovereign, you are ruler over all, and that you are in control of this situation. We want to pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to pray for the salvation of our leaders that are being elected to political office, even those who lose the election. We want to pray, Lord, that um, we would live peaceful and godly and quiet and good lives um, as a result of that. And we want to pray that the church would be the place 
where uh, pe- the outside world can look upon us and say, this is a place of peace, of goodness, of wisdom, of holiness. It is not a place of chaos. It is not a place of grumbling. It is not a place of hatred and disunity. And so I pray that the enemy would not use this in the church, Lord, um, to discredit the church, but rather the church would rise up as a shining example of who you are and who God's people can be through you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys.